0: Well, I don't know when you discovered uh, the power of prayer, but I can think back to a moment several years ago. It was a really desperate situation. Our dog was missing. And our kids were young enough uh, to where it was a, the worst thing that had ever happened in their life. And it was scary. It was not ideal. I mean, they were both kind of like middle school tweens, kind of in that era. And. That was back when we used to rent out our house for South by Southwest, which I loved because it was very lucrative. My wife hated it uh, because we'd come home and it didn't quite look like the way we'd left it. And one time there was a used maxi pad on a blanket, and after that we never rented out our house again. And so when you have to wear a hazmat suit in your own house, it's not a good thing. And so it was... One of those years, we'd rented out our house, and so we were actually staying at a friend's place, and Trevi, my daughter, who was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11, called in a panic. I was already at Gateway. We were meeting at Crockett High School. Back in those days, if you've never been to the Crockett High School auditorium, it's like very narrow and goes straight back like 50 yards. Mm -hmm. And so there was not a good seat in the house, but I was backstage about to set up. The message we were going to be streaming from north it was ted beasley speaking and trevi was crying she was desperate emma is missing and so i encouraged her like well tell your mom and get caleb and and start looking for her and knock on doors and then i had the wisdom in that moment to say and why don't you guys pray Now, at that point, my kids, you know, we kind of sent them as missionaries into the public school to influence their friends towards Jesus. But what was happening is more like their middle school friends were influencing away from Jesus. And so we were actually, in this moment, they were sensitive to the fact that they needed God to help them. And I felt trapped. I couldn't get away because I was about to host and and there was another service to come. And so we're trying to figure out what to do. so then I called them in between services and still no dog and started to pray with them. And, and it was really one of those interesting moments because after I hung up, I started begging God to help us find that dog. Because I, I, I needed my kids to have an experience where God came through for them so that I could remind them of this moment. The day we lost our dog and she was once lost, but now she's found Right, Because God answers prayers. He can hear you when you reach out to him. And I was praying and hoping, and as soon as the services were over, I got in my car and started driving. And I don't remember where the idea came from, but somebody told me I should just drive to the animal shelter. And I called the animal shelter and got a voicemail. I mean, it was a Sunday. And on the voicemail, though, they said, if you're missing your pet, check our Twitter feed. So I'm driving as fast and as safely as I could while looking at Twitter. And this is what I saw. Our dog. In prison. Looking scared. And with a new bandana, apparently she'd already joined a gang. I was so excited to grab this dog and take her home, and the kids were elated. And I reminded them, See, kids, God hears our prayers. It was then that I had this realization, because there are other times I'd prayed more fervently, and it did not work out the way I hoped. But I had this thought. Sometimes God says yes to the small things so we can trust him when he has to say no to the big things. And to my kids, this was a big thing. But there are other times in my life where I was praying for God to heal someone, and they didn't make it. I was praying for a marriage, and it ended. There are other times in my life where I was praying with desperation, more desperation, and it did not work out. And during this series, our hope has been that you start to realize that prayer is more than just going to God in the midst of a crisis, It's more than just praying for a parking spot. It's more than even just once a day. It's a continual conversation with the creator of the universe who created you on purpose and with a purpose. That you and I are invited into an ongoing conversation with God. But the problem is sometimes we just get too busy. We have a pace of life that's unsustainable. At work, or with our kids' schedules, or just spending time with our friends. Or maybe it's the doubts, the unanswered prayers that keeps us from going. But what if we began to press into the doubt, to lean into prayer in spite of our lack of answers from the past? Or what if we would begin to see work and our kids' schedules and even spending time with friends as part of our mission to bring more of heaven to earth in those places? Well, as we finish up our prayer series, we're going to look at a man named Daniel. This was a message that we missed when John Burke was here on the Legacy Tour, and it just so happens to be about prayer, a perfect ending to our prayer series. So just to give you the context to remind you, Daniel was a young man when his country of Judah was invaded and destroyed by the Babylonians. Daniel, along with thousands of others, were taken from their home as hostages and were forced to work for the king. Forced into exile. But God helps them. And it's a beautiful illustration of how we can thrive in the midst of circumstances we would never choose. In fact, there's cultural clash. There's a temptation to just enculturate themselves, give up their own God and their own way of living. But instead, we see in chapter 1, they ask for permission to eat only what they consider to be healthy and kosher. And they were given permission, and it works. And then we see another moment where the king has a dream, and no one can interpret it, but Daniel is able to do so with God's help. And then we see this golden statue that Daniel's friends were unwilling to bow down in front of, and so they're thrown into a fiery furnace. And there's this beautiful moment, an amazing prayer, one that we should learn from, where they say, our God can rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we will still trust him. That needs to be our posture. God can do the miraculous, but even if he doesn't answer when we want or what we want, we're still going to trust him. And then in chapter 6, there's this moment where once again Daniel is tested. And if you read through chapter t- 6, there's this theme of deliverance. And that word make, make us feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, the word deliverance carries kind of a heaviness, a weightiness to it. And there's certainly a spiritual aspect to it of being freed from evil and demonic oppression. But it also might lend itself to this feeling of intrusiveness or even pain, as Christians have used this word to try to force people to change their behaviors or lifestyles. And if you're old enough, this word might remind you of a terrifying movie that's kept you from ever camping in the woods of Georgia, And you get triggered every time you hear a banjo. (laughs) But at the root of this word deliverance is a word we actually like. It's the word deliver, associated with the word delivery. And we all like deliveries, Tiff's treats, Uber Eats, Amazon packages. We love it when something comes for us. Which means this, when it comes to this theme of deliverance, at the core there's a desire for something good to happen that might not be so good right now. And that's really what deliverance means. It's the moving of something where it is to where it needs to be according to God. It's being freed from the evil that's within to have a connection and filled with God's presence instead. It's moving from danger and difficulty into a place of security and peace and what we discover throughout the book of Daniel throughout the scriptures is that the God we are coming to learn about for many of us the God that we serve can be trusted he is consistently moving those he cares about from where they are which is often in a less than desirable situation to where they need to be where he desires them to be and it doesn't mean that all the time that the circumstances disappear but his presence can be felt in the midst of the challenging circumstances so what starts that process of deliverance what begins this process it's prayer that initiates it all in daniel chapter 5 belshazzar is defeated ...by the Medes and Persians. A new king has taken over the land. And yet Daniel's reputation precedes him. Let's start reading in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint the new king... ...120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom... ...with three administrators over them... ...one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them... ...so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. A couple things we can glean from this. People of faith need to be the most trusted people where we work. That we actually represent God wherever we go. The challenge with that is, if we are more trusted than those around us, we will likely be persecuted by others who don't like that we're so trusted. And so Daniel has people who did not like the fact he was not corrupt. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had political leaders with no corruption, right? And and this makes all the other leaders upset. So notice what happens in verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. They appealed to his arrogance. See, in those days, kings were worshipped as gods. And so, now that you've defeated the Babylonians, why don't we decree that everyone in the land cannot pray to their gods, but only to you? See, every tribe had their own god. In those days. And many believed in lots of different gods, except for the people of Israel. They believed in the one true God. And so this was their plan to bring Daniel down. So Darius signs his name on the dotted line, puts into effect this irrevocable law, making it a crime to pray to anyone or anything else, and if they do, death penalty. Certain death by being thrown into a den of lions. So what does Daniel do? Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he'd done before. He prays. The very thing that now has the potential either to destroy his life or save it. Don't miss this. Depending on which king he trusts more. Does he trust King Darius? Does he renounce praying to his God? Or does he trust the king of kings? He chooses to pray to God. Putting his life on the line. You see, because Daniel has discovered that prayer changes everything. Well, the leaders come to Darius in a very passive-aggressive kind of way. Didn't you make a new rule? Yes, I did. Well, guess what? Daniel broke it. And then the king tries to figure out a way to where he does not have to throw Daniel, who he trusts, who he likes, into the lion's den, but he cannot figure out a way. So he reluctantly agrees, saying to Daniel, his last words, may your God save you. Now, because of Renaissance paintings and modern interpretations, we kind of see this image of a young Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. He looks like a CrossFit type who could bench press these lions, when in reality he was closer to 70 years old at this point. And it tells us this, verse 19. The next day, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. May God send his angel. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. I wonder how long it took Daniel to answer the king. (laughs) When he says, did your God save you? Silence. Daniel just kind of smiling, coming up with his answer. But here's what's amazing. After he answers and leaves... King Darius makes a new law. Now everyone has to worship the God of Israel. He describes him in this edict. He is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. See, I can only imagine that when Daniel was praying, he was praying perhaps for God's protection. And God did not say yes. Instead, he was arrested and thrown into the lion's den so that he could be rescued and Darius could have a new level of understanding of who this God is. See, sometimes we pray for things that we think are best for us, but God knows better. There's something bigger that's going on. There's even later in the story, there's this... Remarkable moment where Daniel has a vision and for three weeks he's praying and asking God to intervene, to explain. And three weeks later, an angel appears to him and says, the moment you started praying, I made my way towards you, but I've been fighting in the spiritual realms to get to you. See, there's an unseen realm we cannot see. There are things happening that are bigger than what's going on. But we can trust God. As I've said throughout the series, one of my favorite quotes about prayers from Timothy Keller from New York City who said, God answers our prayers the way we would if we knew what he knows. See, sometimes our prayers are not answered the way we want. But see, our prayers are supposed to mobilize us to trust God more. Today is a really extraordinary day in the life of our church and we're going to get to hear in just a moment uh, the succession of John Burke to Carlos but I want to kind of end our time before that with just wrapping up this thought on prayer from these four weeks prayer changes everything prayer is an invitation into a deeper relationship connection with God And if you remember, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we're invited into being part of the solution of bringing justice and righteousness, love and joy and peace into our dark world. See, sometimes prayer is what moves us into action. But our tension in our day is that prayer has gotten a bad rap in our culture. To some, when politicians offer thoughts and prayers rather than solutions, it can be seen as passive or even offensive. Even yesterday, another shooting, this time at a mall in Allen, Texas. And it's easy for us to to get overwhelmed or even block it out because it just keeps happening. But underneath, the most important solution, and there needs to be political solutions on both sides, but there's... A sickness among us. There's a level of darkness and pain that leads to destruction. And tragedies like this lead to division in our society, and that division has affected some of our homes, some of our workplaces. And sadly, it's affected many churches. And I can tell you that one of the more beautiful things is if you begin to pray, even in the midst of these tragedies, you look up the names of the victims, you begin praying for their families, you pray for the family of the perpetrator, you pray for the authorities, God might lead you to be a bigger part of the solution, lead you into law enforcement, lead you into politics, might lead you into serving with our teenagers, Serving with our children. See, we have a remarkable place to serve as the local church. The Wall Street Journal came out with an article just a few weeks ago that talked about you can trace the decline in America with the decline in the church. That our values have changed because people are no longer connected to the God who has a character that can be trusted. And so you and I, if we're part of the church, when we say yes to following Jesus, we're now part of what's called the body of Christ. We are his hands and we are his feet. Over the years, I've had opportunities to leave Gateway South. And I've said no every time. In large part because this is my family. But it's also because God is doing something significant. And in many ways, I believe the best is still yet to come. But do you know how unusual it is to be part of a church where people from different ethnic backgrounds can gather together to hear about Jesus? Where people who come with struggles, with doubts, coming from different understandings of sexuality, voting differently, can all come together to hear about a God who loves each and every one of us. I was giving a tour of our building the other day to somebody from out of town, and I said, At Gateway, we truly let people come as they are unless they don't let other people come as they are. (laughs) You've created such a beautiful space. And as a result, we cannot even count the number of marriages we've seen miraculously healed. Which who knows how many children's lives have been changed for the better because of what did not happen. There have been young adults and college students and teenagers who literally showed up hopeless and on a path towards destruction, finding hope and friendship and community, their lives have been turned upside down. We cannot count how many that has happened to. See, if you're part of this community, if you serve, if you are looking for your own healing, if you're growing, if you belong here, if you give here, you are actually bringing more of heaven to earth. Just this last Monday at Recovery, I had this thought after Kimo Lai shared this amazing message that we were literally creating people who were untriggerable. If the 40 or 50 of us that were there that night learn how to transcend all the things that might trigger us, any negativity that comes our way, we could be the ones that absorb it and instead breathe out peace and love and joy. That you and I, we can be part of bringing more of heaven earth and so a few years ago John asked me if something terrible were to happen to me like I was on a airplane that went down I want you know I've talked to the overseers and the board you will be the one to replace me and I thought okay I'm gonna start praying for your protection (laughs) even more than before and he survived he's made it all these years And then December of 2019, we were interviewing Carlos Ortiz, who we were talking to him about being the North Campus pastor, but he'd been an executive pastor at Life Church and a church in in Seattle that I'm familiar with and a church in Fort Worth. And so I said to John, you know, John, I don't think we should hire him just as the North Campus pastor. I think you should hire him and add him to our executive team. And a few years prior, John had asked me to join the executive team, which would have meant leaving South, and I had turned him down. And so this time I said, and you know, you have wanted me to be on the executive team, I would be willing to join the executive team with you and Charles and Carlos as long as I could stay at South, and we should also add Susie from HR. Well, a few days later, he's interviewing Carlos again, and Carlos says, John, I know I'm, I, we're still talking, but I, I want you to know that if you were to hire me, I would, I would actually think that we should restructure the executive team. I think I should be on it to help not just at North, but with the North campuses. And I think you should add Eric from South and Susie from HR. (laughs) And then in January of 2020, the new team was assembled just in time for mass chaos, right? But I can tell you over these last several years, I have just come to love serving alongside Carlos. And it didn't take me long to think, you know what, I think he needs to be. The backup that way I can stay south and I just love working with him and I know you'll enjoy getting to know him in the months and years to come